0: Coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you
1: come to do, but I'm come to praise name. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Who Shot You? I'm your host this week, Alonzo Duraldi. Joining me in the booth, producer, film festival programmer, a Drea M. walking.
2: Yes!
1: Drea Clark. Welcome, madam.
2: Oh, thank you. Ingo actually wrote me that I should make my Twitter like background thing say the Drea M. land from Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, ooh, I I do know how to do poorly done Photoshop. That, that could be something I take on. <laughs> Adventures in Kerning. Yes. <laughs> oh, nice. Um wait did you ask me what's good or I did. did I just okay I thought so I got so excited <laughs> um, so TCM Fest is this week mm. weekend and I'm really excited about it it's the first time um, you guys know I was with LA Film Festival forever RIP the cancellation of LA Film Festival mm-hmm. and it took up my spring in such a big way that I was never super cognizant of TCM Fest and this year being able to go through and see the curation and who they bring on to introduce things and that there's such a fascinating um not uh just interest level in like the the children of the celebrities of classic <laughs> film era and having them there and taking part and anyway they do a really nice job and there's a great range of stuff and then most um warming to my heart is when I saw that um <laughs> Wait, oh my God, Gone with the Wind. I was like, what's that film that I don't like? Gone with the Wind. I was oh like, eyes. ugh. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, they're playing Gone with the Wind. Cue my eye roll. And then I was like, oh, and it's paired with a panel called The Problems with Gone with the Wind. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for the people coming to town for that and just excited for classic film being showcased on big screens, wherever you are. Seek it I, I, out. I remember when it started 10 years ago and thinking... it. it old movies in classic theaters in Hollywood
1: like happens all year why is this a thing and then I realized oh it's not for us no it's for everybody (laughs) else in the country and like Canada and wherever else that flies in for this thing
2: so yes they come in they dress up they do it all out it is a
1: thing for sure Uh, my rapturous co-host always (laughs) lovely to see you the, show, the host of the Switchblade Sisters podcast here at Maximum Fun, the luminous April Wolf. April, what's good?
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of classic film, mm. uh, the Criterion channel. Yeah, yeah. But a specific part of the Criterion channel. I think anyone who listens to Switchblade knows that I'm very interested in craft and that I feel like we don't talk about craft and filmmaking en- enough. And so the idea that um, Criterion has all of those little craft videos that they put on to kind of um, uh, show why certain movies are so good mm. is one of my favorite things. And like just randomly yesterday, I was kind of clicking around on Criterion channel because I've got it. And <laughs> Chart subscriber. Uh, and I um, uh, just clicked on the, the content editing in The Devil and Daniel Webster. And I was just like, you know, it's all very kind of simple stuff. Like if you don't know anything about editing, but I'm just like, oh, my God, this is available for people. And it also is simultaneously showing how special a movie could be. You know, one that they people might not necessarily click on to watch. You know, it's a black and white film. And, you know, it's that Faustian tale that people might think that they already know. But I, I just love the presentation of movies on this channel
1: already. You were having a conversation on Twitter this week with a young woman who asked if it was worth her while to go to film school or not. And I was like, just buy the Criterion Channel. Exactly. Honestly? <laughs> mm-hmm. Put That's your money into making a film. It's I will all back there. that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so delighted to have with us author of the upcoming, or by the time you hear this, extant, on your shelf book. <laughs> that's
2: a booked. good yeah, that's I a word. I love that word. Someone's trying to impress the author. <laughs> Best movie year ever. How
1: 1999 blew up the big screen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brian Raftery. Hi. Yay. Hi. How are you? Thank Brian you. Raftery, what's good? Uh, well, I was actually also going to say Criterion
0: Channel, because last night oh, I set up. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I got you. I will you. say, specifically, I was so excited that I was like, well, I have about half an hour to watch something. And it popped up, whether through an algorithm, Hollywood Shuffle, which I have not watched in 20 years. And I watched the first half hour and I was like, I love this movie. That's, it is so smart. It is so fun. It is still so timely. And I love Robert Townsend. It. And I was that was the going to be my Googling staff him. pick today. Oh, so really? now I
1: have to think of another. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's we a just, whole
0: cycle of you two. We going can just talk here. about Robert Townsend for two I hours, hours and five and I, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I,
1: I love Hollywood Shuffle, except it does bug me that it, for a movie that is all about how terrible black stereotypes in films, there's one gay character, oh, and he's a total stereotype. Oh, oh no. Yeah. That, when that pops <laughs> up, I was like, oh, yes,
0: there should also be a panel for why this movie has problems as well, as much as I admire. And it's like, oh,
1: yeah, I forgot the flip side of this movie.
2: <laughs> most movies need a panel. Yeah, yeah. yeah most absolutely. movies need
1: a panel. <laughs> is true, yeah. And we are that panel, damn it. So. <laughs>
2: oh, fair. Good. Hey, Alonzo, what's up with you? Oh, thanks, thank
1: you for cha-cha. asking, Drea. Oh, I so appreciate it. <laughs> I'm not even
2: trying. <laughs> it. April's too busy being luminous. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so last week I recommended uh, a, a thing that was LA and LA only, but this is something that is available to everybody because it's on the internet. And they are based in Buffalo, New York. Uh, It's a place called Fowler's Chocolates. And a fan of another podcast that I do sent me a couple of boxes.
3: Is it it linoleum knife? Why, yes,
1: it is. (laughs) Was kind enough to send Dave and me a couple of boxes of uh, this thing they make called sponge candy which I don't know if Mm. that's like a general thing or this is a thing that Only Fowler's does, but it's this sort of like crunchy, it's kind of like what the inside of Violet Crumble is like without the lavender scent, Mm. Um, but it just dissolves in your mouth and it's coated in chocolate and it's we're like trying desperately not to just cram the whole thing into our face in like 5 minutes.
2: Is it like a harder meringue almost? Like kind a...
1: of. Yeah, yeah, but a little sweeter, uh, but like but it'll, it'll dissolve on your tongue if you let it okay. and has a nice crunch to it. Anyway, Fowler chocolates in Buffalo, New York. We've never met, but I'm in love <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh big show today. We are talking about uh, Shazam, the latest in the uh seemingly endless series of new superhero movies. Uh and we'll be talking about Brian's book, uh Best Movie Year Ever. Um thinking back about what we were watching in 1999 and why and what has stayed with us. And of course, our staff picks. But first, it a dick. <laughs> The section of the show in which we ask the pressing question, is this important? Do I care? We'll each be reading a major news headline and deciding for ourselves just what we think about those things. Uh, I'll kick us off with... uh um, did, did we all see Amazing Grace this weekend? or Not yet. Oh, my God, it's so good. I know, it was going to be my it, staff obviously. pick, but now it's an it so I guess not. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Variety is reporting that a producer of the new Aretha Franklin concert documentary Amazing Grace has filed an arbitration case against the director of the film for not paying her for years of work. Mm. Uh, Chemi Karasawa, who's produced many documentaries, including Elaine Stritch, Shoot Me, which is awesome. Oh, I love that one. Uh, claims that co-director and producer Alan Elliott has not, quote, paid a dime of my producer fee, or the amounts that I'm entitled to contractually, unquote. Uh, Chemi's story is backed up by many collaborators who corroborate all the work she's done, from raising funds to hiring the editor to overseeing post-production. Vincent Cox, Elliot's attorney, said this latest suit of this latest suit that this dispute is going to be resolved through arbitration. Is this important? Do you care?
3: Are you fucking serious? Yeah. The woman producer doesn't get fucking paid <laughs> on a documentary about a female artist? Like... What the fuck is hmm. wrong with people? No.
2: Well, they're the worst people in general. I don't know if you guys knew <laughs> that. that. But one of the other things that stands out is she was in charge of bringing on the editor for something like this and also post-production. I don't know if you're familiar with the background of Amazing Grace, but when it was shot originally and it was overseen by... Sydney Pollack. Sydney Pollack, yeah. And he had never done a concert like this. He forgot to... Do clappers for yeah. all of the mm. different takes. So this film, the reason that it sat for so 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 long, they literally couldn't sync up the music with the visuals. So the post on any documentary is beyond instrumental, but for something like the, no pun intended, but for something like this, <laughs> it's even everything. more so. And yeah. and also that it's getting so much exposure now that it's ugh, whatever. Do- Documentary producers, I think, get screwed over a lot because their projects are so long and fee structures are really strange because of it, because the budget is strung out over years sometimes or dependent on certain like hitting tiers of distribution buyouts. And it sucks. Yeah, I this really is, hope she gets her due. This is that she was most active on the project
3: from 2011 through 2015, Jeez. which is like, I think people don't understand that documentaries, yeah. they do take generally like a decade work, and that's the intent, and if you don't get paid for that work,
1: you're just fucked. (laughs) Yeah, this is footage that was shot back in 1972, and then there were a couple of attempts to try and get it released... In the later years of Aretha Franklin's life, and she blocked it. Uh, but then I think they finally, after her passing, they kind of ran it past the estate, and they signed off on it. But yeah, there wouldn't be a movie to even show anybody if they had not oh, yeah. gone through the arduous task of making of that the sound and picture line up. Which oh, is... shit.
3: And then it looks like she's the reason that Neon acquired it, too. Yes, do, you know, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. What does a director do? The,
1: what are they even doing, you know? Well, it's like, also weird. Sidney Pollack doesn't get a director credit on this which movie. Which is nuts. Mm-hmm. What? It's like he, he gets a thanks no. uh, a couple of times, but, like, they don't credit him as director because, I mean, he did shoot everything, but I guess since he didn't do any of the posts, it's bizarre. That's some Wait, stingy
2: this? producing. This like, is Alan, uh, Alan Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. yeah if What's you're withholding a... credits like that, you're kind of a dick. who.
3: What else did this guy do? Anyone know?
2: Uh, I think he might have
1: been with the label or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he was definitely one of the people who was instrumental in getting this thing finished and released. But uh, so was Chemi. So, you know. It's so other? strange
0: to me. Also, as a journalist, the fact that this is such a gray area of film production. I mean, there's explainer videos for so many different parts of making a movie now, but this whole process is kind of still very opaque. Sure. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's arbitration and not a lawsuit, meaning there won't be discovery, it sort of feels like it's going to kind of Remain hidden. What actually mm-hmm. happened? Which I feel like this could actually be very interesting to learn from how the process yeah. works, and kind of not getting that is is makes it even all the more mysterious. Feels mm-hmm. like.
3: Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> um, more news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Director Sam Mendes, uh, who you may remember directed American Beauty, Road to <laughs> Perdition, and Skyfall.
1: American Beauty, a nineteen ninety nine release, yeah. I believe. <laughs>
3: is working on a new World War I film titled 1917. That's when the war, um, okay. The so, one war. <laughs> IndieWire is reporting that the entire film is going to be made up of one long shot. The film is expected, quote, is expected to follow two young British soldiers on the front line in a sort of day-in-the-life-esque film. It's also in clear, unclear yet if the film is going to be shot in one take, like Russian Ark, or just look like it's one take, like Birdman, although people really can't fucking tell the difference. And, you know, marketing, you can just say it. Sure. And they're like, yeah, sure, it's all one take, whatever. Uh, is this important? Do you care?
2: I mean, I think it's important <laughs> because I think Sam Mendes, I find him a very interesting director. I think his choices and the path that he follows, like because he also did... Like Away We Go. I mean, hmm. for someone who oh, does, God, is that him? Yes. I is that's him? <laughs> like someone who, and which I love, Away I do We too. Go. And yeah. the, I think he has an interesting handle on um, human connectivity. I think he does good interpersonal relationship stuff. So for, and then I, I liked Skyfall. I oh, think yeah. that his handling of the action and the just scope of it are strong. So it's interesting to me to think of him. Taking on something like this, and I like directors kind of challenging themselves. I think there's no way this is. I think to me, this is going to be Birdman style and sort of shot and then put together no, to look. Yeah, good. No, his
3: producers would destroy him if it was not.
2: <laughs> also, that way. they'd be done shooting. <laughs> I mean, it would be the, there's. Yeah, no, I just wouldn't. Yeah, and the and the there's. I feel like a roster of talent coming in. Um, Right, that there was supporting talent oh, associated with this. That I'm like, oh no, those people are not all coming out on one day. I mean, yeah, nobody's scheduling of that. now uh,
1: and on the one hand, like you know, you you tell me this, and I think, oh, the, this gimmick. Like it's we've seen it a lot lately. But on the other hand, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you had described Locke to me before I saw Locke, sure. I would think, eh. You know, and then I love that movie, you know, and and what's what's the Danish one? The Guilty.
2: Yeah. Maybe, Mm. you know, I love the Guilty. So, yeah,
1: it's not so much what the gimmick is, is what you do with it. And and certainly there's a possibility that they could do really cool things. So this film is going to, according to IMDb, the cast will include Richard Madden. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. A, a, known now for dating Sam Smith's ex. Um oh, is that who he is? He's the bodyguard. Oh, I just know him because he he got he was photographed with Sam Smith's ex. And so like now everybody uh, gay, I don't, I don't gay Twitter is people. all a flutter about I didn't it. Be I didn't Richard know. Madden being on the team. Uh Mark Strong, know. Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew
2: Scott, Colin Firth. Uh so, Good. Yeah. so all of the white men of Britain are employed. <laughs> well, it's Thank World God. War One. I. I mean, You're right. like there this. were no women or people of color yeah. alive. Okay, fine. Um <laughs> no. you brought up the cinematographer of this, yeah, which I, mean, I it's, think it's is it's
0: notable. Reportedly Roger Deacons, which is exciting. Oh, I mean, because okay. I love Roger Deacons. I mean, I'm I'm in this weird spot where like I used to like when I was in my twenties, I was like, tracking shots are the coolest way of knowing you. You've an awesome director. And you still see sometimes on like YouTube videos where it's like the kind of like film bro communities like tracking shots are that's a real sign. And I've seen a lot of movies where I'm like, yeah, good for you. We got a tracking shot. It's not that it doesn't make it necessarily amazing. I mean, when I was fourteen I thought Rope was the coolest movie in the world. And I'm like, this is actually no nice. it's just fine. It's just, you know, it's just you can tell where the cuts are. It's just, you know, it's I don't know I don't know why it feels like this. I think it's like the, the product of that Boogie Nights, Goodfellas, Boogie Nights, Goodfellas. This is hammering Ugh. your head when you're young that, like, this is what a real movie is. No,
1: I one of the times that I was teaching uh, and I had people, like, show, you know, give me clips of stuff that sort of underscored what their kind of philosophy of filmmaking was. And I swear to God, if I had to watch that hallway scene from yes. Old Boy one more time, <laughs> yeah. I was going to just stick a fork <laughs> in my eyes. Yeah, I get it. It's really cool and
0: it's very show-offy, but it's in a way that's very fun. But it's also very show-offy. Totally. And, and Yeah.
2: Speaking of show offy, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a segue, y'all. Um, Francis Ford Coppola is hoping to go into production on his passion project, Megalopolis. Megapol- Meg- Megalopolis. You're not Megalopolis. Megalopolis. Yeah. Okay. Francis just turned 80, which is the time you want to take on some artistic Absolutely. challenges. According to Deadline, he's hoping to start production on a very ambitious new film, Megalopolis. I'm never going to feel like I'm doing that right. The film tells the story of an architect that aims to create a utopia in New York City, but is being thwarted by the mayor. (laughs) Now, that may sound like a pretty simple run-up, but apparently some second-unit footage was shot almost two decades ago, and production stopped because of 9-11. And Coppola had this to say, It will be a production on a grand scale with a large cast. It makes use... Of all my years of trying films in different styles and types, culminating in what I think is my own voice and aspiration. It is not within the mainstream of what is produced now, but I am intending and wishing and in fact encouraged to begin production this year. You guys, is this important? And do you care?
1: I mean, it's important in that Coppola is still out there trying new wacky stuff. Although a lot of times in recent years, the new wacky stuff is not necessarily been the The stuff he's going to be remembered for, you know, I think the obits are not going to lead with, you know, Twixt or Tetro, but they, you know, (laughs) they're going to acknowledge that he was still doing movies like that in his 70s, which is awesome. But it's funny, you, you bring up a point, though, about taking on something that's challenging at that age. I would imagine the insurance company is going to make him have a shadow. Oh right? yeah, I mean, they, they, there's
2: definitely like Paul Thomas backup Anderson backup following yeah. Robert Altman yeah, around yeah. on
1: on uh, Peri yeah. Home Companion. Uh, you know? So I wonder who gets to be the
3: shadow? Uh, Ooh. Wes Anderson, maybe? <laughs> no, dear God! Well,
2: just he's connected with the family. You know? Yeah, but he, it'd be so terrible. <laughs> the amazing <laughs> budding of styles that that would produce. Um, <laughs> it although, would just be okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> do you want Sophia following him around? More than More him? More than Fair Wes enough. Anderson? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I will say I, I like the idea of being like, you know what? I'm almost 80. I'm an artist. Where's the fence? And let me shoot aim for over it. Like if you're Francis Ford Coppola, who's like a k- k- billionaire and has like tons of credibility, probably has favors from millions of people. The idea of endless wine, y- endless <laughs> wine. You're, you're drunk all the time. So you're just making good decisions. No, I like the idea of like, yeah, you know what I want to do? This that said, I cannot think of any like if I was his well if I was his producer, you should all be i won 't i don 't even know you guys anymore <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, lose my number, but I mean, I love you, but lose my number, no, if I was his producer, and he 's putting out things like. I'm going to make use of all of my years, all of the styles, everything I've wanted to do. The biggest thing I would be like, okay, chill it down, man. Like, <laughs> expectation level. You just said this is about an architect trying to thwart the mayor. So,
3: cha, 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 cha. But I, I mean, uh, as a city planning nerd, <laughs> uh, oh boy. <laughs> I, uh, I'm Pretty excited about this, <laughs> I have to say.
1: <laughs> Ticket sold. Oh my
3: god! It is the thing where I was like, "That's the project that is going to sell me on an eighty-year-old Francis Ford Coppola, like directed picture." You know, like that's. Where I'm like ah yes, <laughs> city planning and a fight against the mayor. Oh, yes, i like, in. <laughs> wouldn't
0: it be fun to watch him kind of do one last victory lap? Like, would it be fun to like to read the ten thousand word Coppola Q and I mean, I just feel like he mm-hmm. he hasn't. What was his last really yeah. great movie? I mean, Dracula was fun. I have not seen in a long time. I don't know if I consider it great. I mean, his biggest cultural legacy. I mean, Captain EO was still a oh, very big movie in some ways, but. It's like Gardens of Stone or, or Tucker were or a long, long time ago. Right? Yeah. I'd like for him to get one more shot. Well,
1: you know, and I mean, and he, he's got more versions. You know, like, yeah. you know, like there's yet another director's cut of Apocalypse Now. I think that's about to premiere at Tribeca. And I want to see that director's cut of The Cotton Club that screened mm. oh, yeah. at Telluride, yeah. which I heard wonderful things about. And I've always been a fan of that movie in terms of you watch that movie, and you go you go, okay, this doesn't work, but I bet – There is a movie that works in here somewhere. Yeah, it's a really interesting movie to watch. His failures
0: are really interesting; they've always been. I mean, I I haven't watched the more recent ones, but
1: (laughs) right, unless we're talking about like Jack or something. Yeah, well, Jack is
0: actually I am fascinated by Jack. It's it's got Bill Cosby, and it's like it's a terrible, terrible movie. It's so bad. It's so I don't know what he was doing. Is it the
1: kind of bad movie that only a great filmmaker can make? Because those are fascinating. It's kind of the
0: only. It's it's like the kind of bad movie that only Robin Williams in the '90s could make. It's that (laughs) very
1: kind of like mawkish and why and why was sixty million dollars spent on this? All righty. Uh, we will be right back to discuss Shazam uh, after this word from another show on the MaxFun Network. Well, pop culture panel, we have just 30 seconds to prove to MaxFun listeners that we know what the F we're talking about when it comes to pop culture. All right, you guys, let's go. Famous Chris's.
2: Walk in.
3: Christofferson, Hemsworth.
1: Karen, what's the most iconic lesbian snack?
3: The Wings at Hooters.
1: The answer is fried green tomatoes. Margaret, what is the Marvel Cinematic Universe missing? My interest. Winter, name someone who will EGOT in your lifetime.
2: Ike Barinholtz. That's beautiful.
1: Top Gear or Top Model?
2: Sadly, I have to say Top Gear. The clear answer is Top Chef. But
3: Top Model taught us about smizing.
2: Pop Rocket,
1: smart takes on everything. Catch us every Friday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm Alonzo Duraldi. Joining me in the studio are... April Wolf. Brian Raftery.
2: Drea Clark. So, hey, Shazam! <laughs> Shazam!
1: Opened. Uh, you, look, a movie, it's got an exclamation point in the title. You're going to say it with an exclamation point. Uh, Brian, you're our guest. you want to <laughs> <you wanna laughs> summarize Shazam for us? Oh, boy. Here's my summary <laughs> of Shazam is that I took my eight-year-old daughter to see it
0: the first time we went to see it, and uh, it scared the heck out of her. <laughs> I really? Really? Yeah. And I felt so bad because she is such a monster movie fan and stuff. And, uh, and to be fair, it was my fault. She wanted to see it. I was not paying attention to PG-13. <laughs> uh, but So I have seen it one and a half times, <laughs> and I can basically sum it up. And it's a guy who gets a superpower, and he changes from a boy to a man. That's the simplest. <laughs> the second time, there's no subtext. <laughs> there's no deeper sort of analogy or allegory. Um,
1: well, you know, go further. There are
2: lessons there to are be lessons, learned. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. I believe the importance of family is stressed. Might have been brought up. Other. Yes, the Could importance be to of glanced upon. Uh, you do bring up an interesting point, though, which has come up a lot in the early reviews, which is that this is a movie that is being sold as a sort of lark for families, yeah. and you know, it's a very kid-friendly kind of superhero movie. But the director, who comes from the world of horror, did sort of throw in some moments that maybe were not. Uh you know, for the younger viewers. It's hard PG
0: thirteen. I yeah. mean she she liked when the dinosaur bit the lawyer's head off in Jurassic Park. The ones the CGI beasties biting the guy's head off in this one, she was like,
2: I'm out. Yeah. Really I had <laughs> wondered about that because I found them like just clay looking enough like they look like they were Mm. short of one more render in the (laughs) the visual effects and because of that I wondered if that helped alleviate any of it because I was having questions on the tone the director just to add I love David F. Sandberg he his first feature was this film called Lights Out that we premiered at the R.I.P. L.A. Film Festival (laughs) but in meeting him and doing the Q&A for his film um, I found out he got that film because he made a four minute short that he shot in his house with his wife as the lead Mm. also called Lights Out with the same premise and it won a horror competition in like Sweden and then it ended up being developed into this Warner Brothers Mm. feature and now he's doing Shazam which is a trajectory not many directors Mm. are afforded um, but I do love that way in and I was actually very very surprised when I saw him attached to this, but I like his i think he has a nice playfulness as much as yeah. i 'm older than eight, not much older than eight <laughs> i 'm very young but um but there was to me I, the whole time I was like, oh um there was a, the jokiness of Sh- Shazam himself. Felt like something more like a preteen yeah. would enjoy. Of like, oh, I actually feel like this is fun in a way that a lot of these films are not fun. Well, well and, yeah.
1: I, and I think those tonal missteps stand out all the more because the rest of the film is True. so charming and and kind of wacky at times, almost. Where, yeah, then when you when you when it's you can tell, oh, this if this weren't a PG thirteen, like there would be geysers of blood right now right, because yeah. this True. awful thing is happening. Yeah. You know, but that just sort of stands out more because so much of it is something that you would want kids to see because it is about like family stuff and about uh you know friendship and about sort of you know responsibility and all that kind of stuff that 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 superhero movies are about um I you know the fact that it's yet another origin story i I, I was I I felt like they, you know, when we, we talked about, you know, Captain Marvel a couple of weeks ago, that that seemed to go down easier because she had amnesia, so they were, she was kind of piecing it together. Sure. And this movie does kind of keep changing perspective because there's all this, this whole other plot about the bad guy, Dr. Thaddeus Savannah, trying to find, you know, the original Wait, the you mean the hot Shazay, guy? Yeah.
2: Who is not hot in the comics. <laughs> he is hot in this movie. Well, he's Who's Mark Strong. Mark it? Strong. Mark Strong. yeah. Mark Strong. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry you were saying Any, i don't even know anymore. you were saying something more appropriate no, i'm, and on I'm, I'm point. just
1: saying that like that the, the, there's uh, there are enough other places to go in this movie that so doesn't just feel like the yeah. good of the hero's journey
3: i'm like oh sorry i'm yawning <laughs> <laughs> i'm still trying to make a point um <laughs> i felt like so like, to go back to drea's thing with lights out I did not like that movie, Okay, and I felt like as an elongation of a short, the short is excellent, it's wonderful, it's very simple, and then the movie that he made here in the U.S. felt like it was trying so hard to be, like, the U.S. films of its type. Sure. I just, felt, I just, I, I could feel
2: the fingerprints of
3: that right? machine yeah. on it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember if it was, like, James Wan. It who, is James yeah, Wan, yeah. And I could feel James Wan being like, no, dude, bro, do it this way, but with an Australian accent, I think. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I, I felt like that I didn't understand. This I was surprised, actually, that he put some horror-ish kinds of things in it because i was like oh i thought that you would just kind of stray into more you know like family friendly and i was i was actually surprised that he put more horror things into it but maybe he's just been hanging out with james wan so often
1: (laughs) well so is james wan like the new Zack snyder for these dc movies because he directed aquaman and it's like there's there's this shift going on now sort of away from snyder we've had like wonder woman and aquaman Mm -hmm. and now this like clearly like we're looking at a whole new palette, if nothing else, of, of with the yeah. color the color story. I'm
2: much happier with I mean like I like the lighter James Wan I don't think was affiliated officially with this film, right? Mm. But I do like the lighter touch. Like I enjoyed Aquaman a lot. Like mm. it's so nice and ridiculous and I love a ridiculous motion picture. Um one of the things when you said the the origin story of it, something else that kept sort of hitting me was that And I feel like I've seen this in other movies where there's a tr- – so obviously this is this 14-year-old um, foster kid named Billy, and he's st- whatever, given po- magic powers, and he turns into a- uncomfortably muscular Zachary <laughs> Levi. Like, I was not – I was like, I don't – I want Chuck back. Like, I, I was not
1: uncomfortable. Okay, you were not uncomfortable. I was
2: like, I don't know what – your thighs are a lot for me to take in right now. <laughs>
1: Did you see him on Marvel's Mrs. Maisel?
2: Yes. Oh, he was lovely. Yeah, he was lovely on that. Um, but there was something about when he was Shazam, he was so showboaty, and it gave me that, like, do you remember when, like, Spider-Man goes through those, "wacha wacha" like, mm. in the terrible one where he's, like... Oh, three. Yes, and he's, like, walking down the I was getting that, like, hmm. vibe from it, but then when it was Billy, I never got any showman sort of elements, so there was also small parts of it, like, that speak to a lot of this slight disconnect. It wasn't ever enough to t- totally pull me out of it, but there were things that but see, I kept thinking. I think thinking, that makes like, sense. I
1: think when you're when you're Billy and you're a 14-year-old boy among 14-year-old boys, you know, you kind of hang back River. But if you suddenly are in sure. that body, mm. you know, you're going to be like, sure. hey, check me out, you know. That's I, fair. I, in fact, I, I sort of enjoyed... Oh, one, I
2: loved them. Yeah, one yeah. of my
1: favorite things in the movie is how Zachary Levi is doing this body language of someone who is not comfortable in yes. his own skin in a, yeah. in a way and like it, it's this suit that he's put on I can't figure yeah. out what to do he with the body language job, of him yeah. is
3: like some like a character who could be an entourage the body language <laughs> specifically is just like what am I doing I don't know I'm like a big tough guy yeah. shoulders work and stuff the- no, oh,
2: I was just going to say, what did you think of the the element that I liked the most? And it's the only other thing I've seen in the DC universe that I really appreciated in a small way from um, freaking Batman versus Superman, which was the observation of, oh, this is a city where superheroes exist. And right. so getting those small moments where you see. So like when he's introduced to the house and his wisecracking disabled um, foster brother. um, Jimmy, Freddie, Freddie, thank Mm you. um, Is showing him. He's like, oh yeah, I'm super into Superman, and and you're like, oh right, like Superman and Batman exist in this world, and Mm -hmm. they
1: have fandoms not for like comics, but for them as actual people. Mm -hmm. And and
2: so I I liked those shades of how Shazam showed us this town where people were, like, accepting or acknowledging a new superhero in a way that, like, here, our world, you would not. So
3: do you think that this is, because, I mean, this is a an interesting tension that they're setting up in this kind of DC world, is that, that Shazam is almost like the introduction to what new DC is going to be, right. like, post right. this, because it feels like this is a different direction and it's very purposeful.
0: Oh, totally. That's why when I was saying earlier that it's like, it's about a guy, a kid who gets powers, I wasn't trying to be a, super dismissive, but it's like, I much prefer a very easy log line in these DC movies as opposed to the Zack Snyder <laughs> movies where it's like, there are can five we have, hidden yeah. objects. Well, it's like can we have a Randian existence and is fascism a contagion? And by the way, here's these mother boxes. And it's like, I would much rather be like, kid gets powers, saves people, has a nice message at the end. I would much, for, for at least a couple of DC movies, that's totally fine by me. Like, it's a much... More pleasant tone, like Batman versus Superman was just, and Justice League were just so
1: pummeling as movie-going experiences.
0: Yeah. Um, but this was much more fun
1: and and true to the comics. I mean, I'm a fan of the old '40s Marvel, com- uh, not Marvel Captain Marvel comics. How dare you? So, no, he was. <laughs> yeah. That's the, a the, the whole long, complicated thing. This character we used to be known as Captain Marvel. Let's not even go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, but you know, the old Whiz comics featuring Shazam and featuring Billy Batson and this character and all had a sense of fun to them and i think that you know obviously had those comics continued throughout the 50s 60s 70s they would have evolved in the same way that dc characters did but because dc basically put them out of business back in the late 40s for for being a total ripoff of superman they get to remain locked in amber and that goofiness and there have been subsequent efforts to to bring him back and and but even when DC does Shazam now like I read the Jeff Smith version um they still are you know they treat it as a little more fun than the usual stuff like maybe Black Adam gets to be serious but Shazam you know is always it's always it gets to be a little goofy, and so so does the movie. One of the conversations that popped up on Twitter this week that I thought was really interesting and oh, yeah. something that I had not thought about: uh, Kristen Lopez, who was on our show recently, and William Bibiani were talking about the idea that you have the, the disabled kid, you know, who becomes a hero in this movie. You have the fat kid who becomes a hero in this movie, and when they do, they get sort of. Traditionally, you know, muscular, up, fit, yeah. mm. buff bodies, able
2: Abled, bodies, Abled as well. bodies, exactly, and even the kids with spectacles lose their glasses, exactly, yeah. mm.
1: and so so there's a certain erasure going on yeah. of certain kinds of people. The implication that, that 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 these body types can't be heroic, um, and you know, and I don't, and, and neither of them. Yeah, they both liked the movie, but they said, you know, this is a thing that's worth talking about. And I did think it was worth talking about. I, I never really thought about that before, but we're so conditioned to this idea that so and so becomes a superhero, you know what that looks like. Sure. And it always looks the same way.
2: Yeah. You have to work out like Zachary Levi did for an uncomfortably <laughs> long amount of time. There is something about. There's a speech that Freddie gives to him when he's talking about like how he wishes it was him in the first place, mm-hmm. and I thought that that and that comes earlier, obviously, than mm-hmm. his transformation. Um, and I thought what he was saying there was interesting because it could, to me, could be read several ways. That there's something about him being jealous of it, but not just because it would fix him like he needed to be fixed, which. I don't think people, I don't think that's how you think of your life, but you do think of being either special, mm. like I wish I was chosen, I wish I was the one who's special and given this thing, or... um just beyond, which I guess kind of ties to the special, but like being both special and magic, like, Mm. and so when Freddie was saying it and was kind of pissed and desperate, I liked that idea of like, yeah, teenage kids, like you're, you're always like, you're going through puberty. You're like, Oh, this is, everything's the worst. Like regardless of having a crutch or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. And I, and I was thinking about it because I read Kristen's article and really liked it. And then also couldn't really figure out what I would have done differently in, in terms of acknowledging that, or in terms of like, oh, like, so they all turn into these like very specific ideals. And yeah. what does that say? Who's my audience? Do I have to worry about the teachable moment of this? Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I don't know. I, I just, it would be, I mean, and I almost don't blame them just because it, it it is so ingrained after years and years and years of these movies and these comics, that this is how it's done. But it would be nice now that we're having this conversation, if somebody stepped back whether it's in Shazam whether it's in some other venue where we're telling superhero stories to examine what a different superhero yes. body type body ability would look like and how that would be how that could be functional you know like daredevil is blind you know that's mm. and that but that's baked into the character and it's always going to be part of the character and it doesn't make him any less interesting or less Able, mm-hmm. um, or you know, capable rather. So I don't know. It would be. I'd like to see more of that. <laughs> but
2: even Daredevil gets the same, like that. They all have the same body type. Like oh, I of keep course, making yeah. fun of the the Zachary Levi swolness of it. But it is that. Like you sign up for one of these movies, and like part of your contract is okay. Well, you get a trainer, you get mm. a nutritionist. You're like on this because you know you your job now is to put on sixty pounds of muscle. You will eat nothing but salmon to and bread, chicken breast. Like. The, the only, the only,
3: the only comic book movie that kind of deviates from that truly is the Deadpool movies. Mm. Mm. It's it's a, a credit to them, I guess, because they have a fat kid who's. Fucking wonderful! Yeah, the New Zealand yeah yeah. he is so great, and he has these powers. <laughs> yes, I love him so much. He's Ricky so great. Mika, I know it's a different
2: movie, but it's
3: all the Sam Neill. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking the, love that movie. The, <laughs> um, for the Wilder, Wilder people, people. Wilder. yeah. Um, and they like they also have the um, who's the 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 bisexual?
1: Oh, uh, teenage <laughs> Sonic warhead. Yeah, oh, like
3: yeah. she also has like a, a non stereotypical yeah. body type and non- stereotypical hair and yeah the, look the, in the x-men
1: have sort of been allowed that because their their powers don't necessarily have to do with brute strength you know and, yeah. and certainly Brian singer didn't have any objections <laughs> to having some willowy members of the team but that's another story <laughs> um, but no you're right the, the those but those are the exceptions I mean for the most part
3: they're noticeable for a reason exactly like I remember them for a reason yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I think that scene was actually I thought that was a weird scene
0: first of all because I was like is that Adam Brody is he really there right now <laughs> yes! but also it's like we've been with these kids for 2 hours now like they all have distinct why I would just rather seen those kids as they were get like powers like mm. maybe that would have been a little too much like power pack dropping an obscure 80s movie oh, nice. but like I really would have I liked those kids a lot I think it would have been fun to watch them as actors rather than become cuz at that point I was like oh, this isn't a superhero movie where I'm only vaguely aware of who these characters are and it's just a lot of CGI zipping around. I think it would be more fun to have lasers coming out of their fingers. and Well, you know, the,
1: sure. the kid who plays young Billy gets sidelined for a whole lot of the movies. Sure, so, yeah. yeah.
2: And there is something, like, in a weird way, it reminds me of the end of Shrek when Fiona's, like, curse is lifted and she's revealed and, like, the end of the curse isn't that she gets to say this, stereotypical beautiful princess but that her true heart is this ogre and in trust me in my head it makes sense that those things are tied together but i like you (laughs) said human shrek is hot human (laughs) shrek is hot oh my god
0: he's a walking smash mouth song (laughs) he really so
2: but the idea of like when they all took you know and get the powers that yeah it would have it would have not surprised me if they had all stayed the same and actually if billy had reverted at that moment like in the spreading of powers was like It's it's more about what can we all do together than one big person. That's yeah. so much to ask from DC who's like I know. Not- Come that far. <laughs> They're like, we didn't spend a month negotiating this five-movie five, co- five movie deal right. with Zach Levi's team. To-
1: and of course, on top of everything else, this is a Christmas movie. So. Yes, mm. I thought of
2: you every time Santa showed up, which was a lot. The recurring Santa was fantastic.
1: Yeah, there's a Christ- Christmas carnival, although yeah. somebody pointed out between us and Shazam, not a good time for carnival nope. for movies. <laughs> beware yeah Uh, all right so in the final analysis in the final wash with the wisdom of solomon uh, do we think that people should screen shazam stream shazam or skip shazam april
3: i mean i would say it's between stream it and screen it but probably just stream it okay scream it scream it (laughs)
0: Brian uh, I would say uh, Stream It If you have a young kid at home You have to fast forward <laughs> through
1: parts. I'm the same way oh, yeah, I'm, between, I'm between
0: streaming And Screen I, I think I'd probably Lean towards streaming It Only because I gotta say A couple of days after watching it It kind of evaporated I yeah, was like Oh yeah, that was yeah. kind of fun But it was two hours And twelve minutes And it didn't really Stick with me as much but it It's too a, long Yeah it's way too long and I thought there was Way too many Santa jokes I was like Third or fourth Santa <laughs> beat fair. I get it I get it Santa's cranky in real life Yeah <laughs>
2: Um, uh, Santa's how we knew that it was still the season. Right. <laughs> um, you know what? I'll say screen it. I think if you are in a sort of bubblegum bubblegum popcorn, wrong chewing thing at all. <laughs> I mean, if you're in a sort of popcorn, you take to take gum, a bubble gum, mix movie. them up. Thank you. Um, yeah. I think it's fun. I think it's a good big movie to see. And also there's been so many dark, dour mm-hmm. superhero things that yeah. it's just kind of, it's fun.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I would say screen it. I think uh, this is the kind of movie they used to only release in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, mm. it's always superhero season, so you can release this whenever. But it has the feel of a big, dumb, colorful, bright, goofy summer movie with some occasional missteps that will freak your child out. But, you know, <laughs> if you don't have one... <laughs> screen it and if you do stream it all right we will be right back to talk uh well to party like it's 1999 get ready to get sick of that joke (laughs) after this word from another maximum fun show since the dawn of time screenwriters have taken months to craft their stories but now three hollywood professionals shall attempt the impossible break a story in one hour.
0: That's right, here on Story Break I, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos, the creators behind award-winning shows like Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Now an awesome movie starts with an awesome title. I chose the billionaire's marriage valley. Mine was Christmas Pregnant Paradise. <laughs> okay, next we need a protagonist. So I've heard Wario best described as libertarian
1: Mario. <laughs> and of course, every great movie needs a stellar pitch. In order to Get to heaven, sometimes you got to raise a little hell. <laughs> <laughs> <That's the tagline. laughs> Check out Story Break every
0: week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm Alonzo Duraldi. Joining me in the studio are Drea Clark, Brian Raftree, April Wolf. Brian Raftery, our guest today, is the author of a very exciting new book called Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen. So we're going to talk about our favorite 1999 movies. But first, uh, Brian, tell us a little about uh, how this book came about and, and how you hopped on board. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was I was thinking about the end of the world. I'm not sure why.
0: Uh <laughs> seemed to be something we were all thinking about in 2016. Um, but I was thinking about Y2K a lot, and I was thinking back about 99 and what that felt like at the time. Um, and so I actually first started out writing a book proposal about all the events of that year, which was a really crazy. Year. Like, Donald Trump announced his first presidential run in 99 oh. that he aborted. And uh, you've had columbine and you had uh the lewinsky clinton uh, affair going on or being resolved um and then eventually um a, a really nice guy uh, simon and schuster uh, an editor named sean manning who i'd never met before emailed me and said hey you've interviewed david fincher and mike judge in the past would you ever want to do a movies of a 1999 book and i was like oh that could actually be uh, a much better way to do this because i had actually <laughs> you know in 1999 i worked i was an intern at entertainment weekly and we did a cover story that year called like the year that changed movies I remember, was, yeah, yeah. In november it was they called it pretty early um and I don't think at the time I knew that because I was 24 and just moved to New York and I was like, every movie is great. What are you talking about? I can go to Every movie is amazing. There's three good ones each week. Um, but I think in the last five to 10 years, it became very clear to me as the studio system changed, as the sort of independent um, film world changed, um, that that year was just looking at the list of who was making movies and what the movies were. And so I decided it'd be really fun to try to talk to as many of those filmmakers and actors, I talked about maybe 130 people over the course of a year and a half. And, um, you know, talking to Reese Witherspoon about election or talking to Fincher about... Fight Club, I I don't know why it is called him Pincher. I'm not on a last name basis with him. <laughs> Everyone calls him that. Out of fear, I guess. Um, but it was and it's just like it's a very rich year. It's you know, it's it's everything from Blair Witch to best man to being John Malkovich to Phantom Menace. So it's like it's it's a lot to talk about. Yeah,
1: I just I just pulled up the IMDB page and it's just for the top twenty by popularity, whatever that means in IMDB world. The Matrix, ten things I hate about you, the Green Mile, Fight Club, American Pie, American Beauty, mm. Cruel Intentions, The Mummy, The Sixth Sense, Galaxy Quest. Office Space, Eyes Wide Shut, Phantom Menace, Sleepy Hollow, Boondock Saints, Big Daddy, Austin Powers the Spy Who Shagged Me, Notting Hill, The World is Not Enough, and Magnolia. And that's just... That's a very weird list. Very What's Green Marine Miles
0: number three? Yeah, I don't wow. know. They, they, I wrote the down a there. bunch
2: and only one of mine was on that list. So is that, that the tells
0: IMDb me... internet movie Darabont page? Like, Is that his page that he has set up? or It's like, just goose, just juke the
1: stats. Uh, we're going to end this a three hour movie with a talking mouse or whatever. Magical <laughs> Wow. But, yeah, that, I mean, I remember that EW piece coming out. And, and you know, I, I was uh, – that was a, a, a weird year for me. The first half I was in Dallas it was my last year programming USA Film Festival. And that fall I came to work for IFP West, which became film independent. And, you know, I, I remember that – the spring of 2000 putting together this screenwriters conference that had, like, you know, we got Alan Ball to come in to talk about American Beauty. We had Kimberly Pierce talking about, you know, Boys Don't Cry. And, and there was this moment where it kind of felt like – a lot of the sort of promise of Sundance was coming into Mm. fruition where like a lot of labels had their sort of mini art house arms and, you know, just general movies got weirder. Like, one of the people who spoke at the screenwriters thing, David O. Russell, gave the keynote, which he later repeated at the Spirit Awards and talked about how, like, here's what you need for your successful movie. Giant puppets and, you know, Hasidic Jews doing math. You know, like, it was <laughs> all these weird things that had been in in, the, in the, the ether the last couple of years. And it did feel like this kind of moment where... Where maybe rules, you know, rules weren't going to apply. You know, yeah. of course, nothing gold can stay. Yeah. Um, but in in going back over the in in doing the research for the book, were there movies that you were that, that sort of surprised you that either maybe you had missed them the first time or that you had forgotten how cool they were or were only now appreciating how cool they were.
0: I mean, there were a couple, there were a lot of mini-movements. Like, I have a whole chapter about The Best Man and The Wood, because I just feel like Mm -hmm. they were, you know, they were Mm -hmm. Rick Famuyiwa and Malcolm D. Lee, just, those were both really hit movies. I mean, The Best Man had a sequel, like, 13 years later. It's actually Mm -hmm. one of the few original movies from that year to actually launch a franchise. (laughs) Um, So, movies like that, where you can kind of peel back and look at sort of the African-American film movement of the 90s, or, you know, even movies like, you know, looking at Blair Witch again from the context of... You know, what that movie meant when it came out at Sundance in 99, Sundance at that point had become so commodified. And I think you were still getting these very exciting movies, but there was also a lot of a lot of like just kind of junky Gen X comedies and well, Reservoir Dogs ripoffs. And
1: you American
2: that, you- Pie was that year, right? right? Yeah,
0: American Pie was
1: that year. Yeah. Yeah, you have a great story in the book about how, how Miramax didn't bid on... Uh, uh, Blair Witch, but they they were spending a lot of money on Happy Texas. Yeah, Miramax
0: had like <laughs> 99 for Miramax was terrible. It's like they missed out on Blair Witch. Like, I think Harvey got sick late that year, and they had they had two movies from the Oscar race, like Oscar, uh, Cider House Rules, which I don't know if anyone I don't know if it was on that top 25 IMDb, <laughs> um, or, or the or Talented Mr. Ripley, which I love, but mm. like they just they could not get they could not marshal people out to sea as much. Um, so it was a weird. It was a weird Miramax year. I think that was kind of the beginning of the end of Miramax like. At least the cool Miramax I liked in college where it was like, hey,
1: they put out Heavenly Creatures and Pulp Fiction. It's like, (laughs) oh, Cider House Rules. Okay. Yeah, that was definitely the year of of Pulp Fiction ripoffs because I as a a programming festival, you would see so many. And I remember thinking years later that the one respite I got out of that was that I wasn't there for the uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding ripoffs. Oh, Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah.
2: I I definitely programmed through those. (laughs) Uh,
3: I have to ask, like, the— when I was still in high school in '99, and uh, so I didn't get to see a lot of the films. I was very
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I didn't get to see them like when they came out. But if I look at the list from '99, those are the movies that I was watching for the next four years. Mm, yeah. Like it, it was, it was something where they had actual staying power. Mm. Like we talk about, like the talent of Mr. Ripley, like you just oh, mentioned, well, like movie. you know. People are still talking about that movie, particularly right now, like 20 years later, because it just has staying power, even though, how did you know it was going to have staying power, aside the fact that it's written by, you know, adapted by, you know. From one of my favorite authors but um, there <laughs> are some not
1: great Patricia Highsmith adaptations
3: that's true that's true but that one is like particularly
1: absolutely good no question
3: and just like uh, what Cruel Intentions yeah Cruel Intentions yeah fucking people still talking about I Cruel know. Intentions right they, Like it's yeah. had
1: like a reissue thing I, I've still never seen it it's oh, fun. Wow. I'm sorry, what? It's fun problematic I was not in high school sleazy. in 1999 <laughs> It needs a
3: panel <laughs> but it's good Oh my god it yeah. really needs a
0: panel And a <laughs> lot of these movies were not hit I mean Ripley was seen that year as the square movie It's like what is this throwback to sort of 40s, 50s filmmaking mm-hmm. It's like Fight Club was not the hit Fox wanted, for oh, sure. No. Office mm-hmm. Space was a disaster. Yeah. Like, a lot of these movies that wound up becoming these sort of... I mean, even Three Kings did well theatrically, but it wound up doing
1: much better on video. Um, that was also the year of South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Love that movie. Yeah. Which yeah. is <laughs> a great movie, and, like, one of the few... Major original screen musicals of the last couple of oh, decades. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. yeah, you know we get those so rarely, and so often they don't necessarily register. But that one's so great. And again, this like R-rated cartoon, you know, oh, full yeah. on musical, which I think was was probably a, a gamble for Paramount.
0: Preceded by all the MPA memo leaks that they put out in the press, <laughs> which are hilarious <laughs> and really strange because the, the MPAA was was post Columbine. They they were like fine with South Park. They were not good, good with Boys Don't Cry. They were very edgy. They were not letting stuff through. And the South Park guys just leaked
1: all their memos uh, out. Amazing. Well, and they, they they've always had issues with queer stuff. I mean that's, oh, yeah, that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a big chunk of this film is not rated yes. about that. So yeah, Boys Don't Cry. I'm sure was giving them conniptions. Yeah, well, it absolutely was. What
3: were the okay? So The Matrix made money, obviously, but what yeah. were the ones that really? hit the box office, because I'm not sure
0: if I even Six remember. Sixth Sense was number two. Oh, yeah, Six yeah. Sense.
1: I mean, Phantom Menace was a hit. Yeah, American Beauty oh, was fuck. a pretty...
0: I mean, Blair Witch was a huge hit. I mean, yeah. that wound up in the top ten. But, um... Notting uh, Hill.
1: Uh, sorry, go ahead. I'll come back. In oh, I mean, American
0: Pie. It was like $100 million, was American crazy.
3: Pie was big for me because it, it's set in my hometown. Oh. In ah. high school, when I was in high school. So... It was very oh election for not everyone a hit, if I
1: recall.
0: Election was not a hit at all. No, no. I mean the, to the point where some of the producers were worried it was going to go straight to video at one point, which I don't think was going to happen. But they were very fearful that it was just going to get dumped, and it's a terrible terrible trailer it's yeah. one of the I mean, everyone complains about trailers it is such a misleadingly bad trailer that you're like they, the person who got the trailer did not even watch the footage
1: and didn't Paramount put it out under their like MTV Films shingle M- yeah it
0: was MTV Films which which had a hit with Varsity Blues that year but then <laughs> they just could never quite I mean they didn't how do you sell election it's like it's not it's, it's a it's got a high schooler, but it's not a high school movie. It's, it's, it's not a teen
2: a...
1: movie for people who hate
2: teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> well, <that's similar>. yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite films from '99 was Go. Was oh yes. yeah, the mm-hmm. fucking Go. Was Which so was good. also like sort of teenage. Absolutely, yeah. And that was another um, big Sunday. And occasion, it had this right? incredible cast, like just a murderer's row of people who became. We're Bridgestin. about to be a big yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. Like, Scott Wolf. Timothy yeah, Oliphant oh, and, yeah. and, and Katie
1: Holmes. And, yeah. Uh,
2: no, so good. I actually, 99 was the year where two of the first like significant um, foreign films that I saw. One was a little lovely film called Audition, mm. which <laughs> yeah. fucked me up for yeah. a decade. And then um, another was All About My Mother. Yes. And yeah. so, which were totally different. But thinking of those coming out the same year, because when I was looking things, I was like, what came out this year? I was like, but those were 99 and they. <laughs> What I don't know it. It's, yeah, my, you're not wrong. <laughs> and my my
1: husband's a big Claire Denis fan, and he loves Beau Travail. Oh yeah, too yeah, yeah. Right mm. too. yeah now, and and I was kind of curious, but you you chose Run Lola Run, which obviously was a huge hit yeah. here and a very influential film. Uh, was there a, a decision about, like, do I include any foreign films? Do I include this one? If I include this one, do I include other ones? Like, It was tough because try- a lot of the book
0: is also – I was trying to pull in all these things like Columbine and mm-hmm. the sort of Y2K mm-hmm. fear. And I was trying to write – that was kind of – it's funny because when I asked Tom Teichwater about – Y two K about he was the right director of Run Little Run he's like I don't know what that is he's like these things don't mean anything to Europeans <laughs> basically <space."> I'm <laughs> like like that Y two K was not a distinctly American fear but like it was very much like a very certain kind of American paranoia so I did the book is is very heavy on American films because I was also you know frankly it's like you really have to. Run Little Run was like one of the biggest foreign language successes that year. And so I kind of wanted to put it in there to tell the story of the movie and how it used time. But I was, it, a lot of the book is sort of like a little bit about the American experience at the end of the 90s, what was going on with the economy, what was going on with the sort of unsettling feeling of as we were sort of plunging forward toward a new century.
3: I have a question because it does seem, I mean, as we go more and more towards the globalization of the film industry and American film industry is like catering specifically to, you know, a Chinese box office right. or just global sales. Um, I mean, did you find that that was in, in any way kind of an influence in how 99 was like maybe a, a last bastion of this kind of very specific American filmmaking that's original, that's not trying to appeal to everyone everywhere? Or, I mean, I'm, it's something I don't know, understand why the theaters were packed with all these amazing movies at this point, And then it just kind of slowly peters off
0: i think it was i mean the north american box office was still the primary concern but i think a lot of it was also these were like warner brothers which has been a risky studio at times and was was sort of warner brothers was and i've spoke to lorenzo de bonaventura who was one of the executives he's like a lot of our stuff wasn't working like we were making batman and robin and Stuff like that. In the late 90s, when you really look go deep on those IMDb lists, it's like there are so many bad sequels and remakes that we've all forgotten. It's like The Odd Couple 2. Why was The Odd Couple 2 made? Wait, what? Yeah, there were all these TV adaptations. There was Lost in Space. And there was a, a real fear that like this generation of executives who had grown up on the 60s movies and 70s movies were like, no, wait, we have to make great stuff, and that means we have to give... David O. Russell $60 million to go in the desert. <laughs> and fight and, with George and, and, Clooney. You know, and have his, <laughs> but also, like, they gave him George Clooney. George Clooney was, an, was ER. He was Warner Brothers, biggest star at the time. They're like, we're going to give you this TV star. He's going to come out for four days a week. You're going to have this insane budget. And, they were just kind of crossing their fingers, and, and that's that's what I think. I think the big studios were like, I think they felt a little bit of a social responsibility. Like, we can't just make sequels and IP. What is that? You oh my know?
3: God! Could you imagine <laughs> if people felt that way today? I do, like,
1: yeah. Whoa! Yeah, but it's interesting though because I, I think every time we have one of these magnet years, like 1939, obviously sure. we always yeah. talk about. It. But again, and then World War Two happened, and like yeah. uh, you know all this stuff, everything kind of falls apart. So you're you know this is I think. 9/11 happens, and a lot of different sort of yeah. economic and social things occur. So it, it's almost like everything builds up, it happens, and then it can't happen again yeah. for yeah. however it, long. Is you know. there
2: a noticeable difference in the box office of 1999 from years around it?
0: Um, there, I mean, it's a very big year. I forget, I forget what the exact billion dollar figure was, but it was like notable. Like it was one of the biggest years of the box office ever. It was also weirdly the 2000 Oscars was one of the most watched Oscars, the ones sure. from the movies of 99. I mean, there was a very big. Ticket sales were very big, and a lot of the most notable box office aspect is that a lot of original movies hit $100 million. I mean, Notting right. Hill, American Pie, Blair Witch, Sixth Sense, Matrix. You can go down the top 20, and there's only there were only three or four sequels that year. I mean, Austin Powers was a really big one, Toy Story, and obviously Phantom Menace. Menace but that also feels like an outlier in a weird sure, way of sequels. Sure.
3: Um, yeah, what the hell? was I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Phantom Menace
0: was also, we were talking earlier about Coppola. It's like, you know, in 99... You know George Lucas makes his first movie in a long time. Uh, Stanley Kubrick makes his first movie in a long time and his last movie, and that movie is still fascinates people yep. it's weird I can always tell when Eyes Wide Shut is on Netflix because all of a sudden my Twitter feed is just either young people who are like what is this movie <laughs> or middle-aged people who are like this movie was better than I thought or yeah. just gifs of uh, pe- of people Tom Cruise wearing his mask or
3: Alonzo <laughs> being like Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie
1: <laughs> it is it is. <laughs> it is a Christmas movie yes Yes. and I will brook no argument <laughs> the book is best movie year ever how 1999 blew up the big screen buy it in the places that sell books they're still out there <laughs> Brian congratulations thank you thanks gang so a fun, fun read. Thank you. Uh, before we go, y'all, we have an announcement. Uh, you might have noticed that Ricky has not been here so much in recent episodes. Uh, you may also know, of course, that he is a writer for the television program Tosh.0. Oh, uh, and they love him. And they love him so much that they have given him more things to do. They stole him. And more things to do for Tosh means less time to do this. And so <sighs> he is uh, giving up. Who shot you, uh, which is heartbreaking to us, but we are, of course, thrilled that, you know, the people with a television show are giving him things to do. Um, So, yeah, that sucks, but we will continue. We will carry on, and Ricky will be back to host one final episode. Join us on May 3rd. He'll be in the studio. We're going to be talking about Avengers Endgame. And uh, and then I guess at the end of it we'll snap and he'll disappear. We're
2: well, gonna avenge the fallen.
3: Or like <laughs> like all all four of, all of us will just have to say Azuka at the same
1: time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But so we we are having a a a grand tear stained finale with him and he might even come back as a guest host in future you never know uh oh he's gonna uh,
3: he he can't stay away he's not (laughs) there's no (laughs) he's gonna come back
1: but who shot you will live on uh april's not going anywhere i'm not going anywhere and in the next couple of months we will be looking for a brand new host to take over his spot not that anyone can fill those Cookie Monster kicks, nope. but you know, we'll give it our best shot.
3: All right, staff. He has to leave the kicks though for now. The kicks, the go nowhere, no yeah. question.
1: All right, staff picks time. Uh, April, what do you got?
3: Okay, um, since I had to quickly find a new one, <laughs> uh, I think I'm actually going to go uh, with the tin drum. Ah. Uh, I, I, I know. You
2: sound like so excited.
3: I'm in post war German cinema. Are... I mean, like. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. One of the
1: few movies that ever gave me dry heaves. Really? (laughs) When the eels come out of the horse?
2: Oh fuck! Oh boy! Yeah, it's
3: it's a tough movie at times, yeah. but it's also it just makes me feel a lot.
2: <laughs> no and question. Like,
3: and uh, and I you know it's based on the the Gunter Grass novel, and I just I love it, and it's it's also another one that's on uh, the Criterion Channel, and um, I decided to watch it because of um, Roger Corman giving it a recommendation and an introduction, <laughs> and I was just like. I love you so much. This is the movie that you chose. You know, of course, Roger Corman, I say, director of, and producer of so many wonderful but films, also but...
1: distributor of a lot of foreign films in the seventies. Exactly, I was gonna, yeah. did he distribute the Tin Drum? That's I, the thing is, I don't, I don't think he know.
3: did, but okay. he was. He was definitely close with everyone involved, so there's a possibility that he didn't. He just didn't disclose it, because he's also, he would not disclose it. No, to them. Mean, so they're yeah. just like, oh, so I'm involved in the process. <laughs> 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 but yeah, the tin drum um, about World War II, rise of Nazis, a little boy who's banging on a tin drum, and it's, it's a fascinating movie. Very fascinating. I
1: totally. Love it.
0: Brian? Uh, keeping the tradition of taking uh my family members to movies that upset them. Uh, ah! My my wife and I on separate coasts because we she's traveling. We watch we both watched Diane in the same week, which oh! I we both loved it. We had a very long emotional phone call after she watched it. I was equally moved when I saw it. Um, I just I, I thought it was fantastic. Wow. I wish they had made more movies about that part of life and those people in that life. And I thought Mary Kay Place was wonderful. And yes. She's also tying it back to 1989. She's wonderful in being John Malkovich. And uh, if you want to see the range of of her as an actor just those two films alone uh, but it's it's really good and I wish I I, I saw it on Amazon I, I really wish I'd seen it in the theater I just wasn't able to But
1: that was my staff pick yeah. last week Okay, great yeah. great, great movie I love it
2: Drea so I have a one shot film and a German film because yes. yeah. April and I are going full Germany love German shit yes a film called Victoria Aha. directed mm. by Sebastian Schipper from a couple of years ago it was on the festival circuit I think it premiered in Berlin probably or can I think probably Berlin stereotyping it. yes Yes, I did. <laughs> but what's interesting, so it's about this girl who's early 20s sort of party or she's out. She hooks up with this group of guys and then bad things come afoot. She ends up being part of a, a robbery. Um, all of this happens. And it truly is a one shot film. Um, the director, in order to get the financing, he shot... Um, coverage of it so that he could do an edited version and then he shot the full film through it's i think it's like two hours long three times in real time three times he could only afford to do it three times um and the third take was the what the movie ends up and it's one of those that you're like oh again like the guilty i know i always sound like i'm like promoting these things that are just like a gimmick But it's so well done. There's so many different inventive storytelling devices, framing devices. It's obviously sort of um, has criminal elements and heists and um, darkness to it. And it's so it's quick moving. It's not like this. Oh, we're just taking a language stroll through Berlin. Like it is a fast moving movie. And um, it's on Netflix right now.
1: Oh, cool. Victoria. I need to see it. Uh, My pick this week is a film that is at least screening in New York and L.A., and I imagine if it's not near you now, it will be getting there. Keep an eye out on your local art house or campus or museum or wherever this sort of thing pops up. Uh, The Iranian filmmaker Jafar Panahi has a new film called Three Faces, and Panahi was placed under house arrest several years ago and forbidden from making movies this is the fourth film he has made since that uh, sentence was handed down. So, oh, he was
3: like, oh, you're going yeah. to <laughs> exactly. you're gonna yeah. tell me not to? You're going to so, tell me not to? I get that. He don't I know you.
1: <laughs> he is doing it. And I think uh, I've seen I think this is the third of the four films of this period that I've seen. I think this one's my favorite one. Um, it begins with a, uh, a sort of cell phone footage of this young woman talking about how she really wants to be an actress. She wanted to study acting. Her family won't let her. They're trying to marry her off. She's very distraught. She's in a cave. And it would appear that at the end of the footage that she commits suicide. And she sends this footage to a famous Iranian actress who is very upset and wants to like find out whether or not this is a hoax or, or whether this woman uh, has died. And so she gets Panahi to drive her to this remote village where they try and sort of piece together what I Actually happened, and so it's about it. It brings up so much stuff about gender roles in contemporary Iran, um, in terms of you know uh, being an actor or being you know in a lot of different ways, in in, in subtle ways and in obvious ways. Um, but it, it it is such a cool snapshot of a country taken, you know. Out in the middle of nowhere, like other films he's done, have been like in his apartment or driving around Tehran in a in a taxi cab. And this is like way out in the middle of nowhere, but it's still so vital and current and pressing, and uh, it's just it's riveting. I, if you've never seen a Jafar Panahi movie, this is a great place to start. If you are a fan of his work, you'll love this. So keep an eye out for Three Faces, um, y'all. Let's see what do we got. Oh goodness, reviews. Leave us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll appreciate it greatly. And... We'll read it on the show. Enid Coleslaw 420. Love that. <laughs> this is the best review ever.
3: I just looked down and read
1: it. <laughs> Enid says, April likes cats. And I appreciate that. It's and true. that counts as a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. I so. have two cats.
3: My cat love is I love so cats too. strong. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Team
1: April. You you don't have to write much. And we'll read it on the show anyway. <laughs> yeah. Brian, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Uh, so much fun. Where can people find you online? Uh, I am mostly on Twitter right now because I'm promoting the book, but I'm
0: doing some stuff for uh, on, at Brian, at Brian Raptree. I hate Twitter. I hate promoting it, but I have to put it out there. So mm. it's just me, uh, slightly self-deprecating, trying to sell my book while doing some other writing on the side. I also post a lot of uh, a few weeks ago I posted a lot of Circuit 1999 EW headline puns oh uh, which was the only time I have ever enjoyed Twitter was putting up old puns and evaluating them. That is, <laughs> that is my favorite thing in the world. There are so many good EW headline puns it was
1: it was it, that was the best year ever for puns for movie puns. <laughs> History will not be yeah. kind. Uh, do you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show? You should tweet at us at who shot your pod. Our Facebook group is is over at www.facebook.com slash Slash groups slash Who Shot You podcast, or you can always send us an email at Who Shot You at maximumfund.org uh, Leave us a comment at the Who Shot line W S Y eight zero 803-1664 If you got a question, you have a comment, maybe you'd like to say goodbye to Ricky, do it there. Leave it under a minute. We'll that'll much greatly imp- uh, increase your uh, shots shots of it getting played on the air. Oh yeah,
3: thirty seconds is primo.
1: Even better, <laughs> do it. April Wolf, you're a treasure. You are. Drea, you delight me. You do. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Loris Wisher. And this is a production of MaximumFun.org. And I guess that's what's up. MaximumFun.org.
3: Comedy and culture. artist owned.
0: Audience supported.